Scriptures are the best place that we ever have to turn for answers, for programs and plans and developments and things that we want to do and need to do. The best place always is to go to the Scriptures. I'm going to share with you a message this morning that I have called Finding Your Place. There is a place for you in God's plan. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God. There's a place for you in the purpose of God. There is a place for you in the church, the family of God, where he has placed you to be a servant. There is a place for you. The difficulty that most of us have is not believing that there's a place for us, but finding that place that God wants us to fill. Taking that place, that is, assuming that responsibility, accepting the charge to do what God has called you to do. If God has called you to do something, and he has, God doesn't call us into salvation so that we just become people on a pew or on a rock or just somebody to sit around and receive what is being given and never have a place or an opportunity to give it back in the service of God. There's a place for everyone. Here's the complicated thing. It's really simple, but it's complicated in people's lives. Between the great things that we cannot do and the small things that we will not do, the danger is that we will do nothing. If you're waiting for a great, great place of recognition, high level, reputation to open up for you, and doing nothing until that happens, you're missing God's plan. There are a lot of great things that none of us can do, never will be able to do. There are some small things, and there are more of these. There are many small things that we just will not do because we feel it's too unimportant, it's less than we are, it doesn't have enough value for our great, wonderful talents that we could put into it. And so we just decide because we can't do the great things and won't do the small things, we just don't do anything. And that never pleases God. It pleases God for you to find your place, occupy and fill that place, and in that place that he's called you to be, serve, serve him by serving his people, by serving his church, by serving his family. Now, there are a lot of things in the Bible that make this clear to us, but I, I don't know of any better place that can illustrate this than the experience of Moses, who was the leader of one of the most contentious 
disputive, argumentative, hard to get along with congregations that ever existed. I've known where some of those were. There may be some in Fleming Island, for all I know. But there are not any at First Assembly. I want to clarify to you, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Go ahead and give yourself a hand. Some of you, that's right? good. That's good. This is a great church, and I mean that sincerely. I don't offer platitudes. I'm just telling you the truth. This is a great church. God's doing great things here, and he's going to do great things. And it's because we love, because we share, because we support, because we're together. But that isn't always true, and it was not true of Moses' congregation. The Israelites were just a disputative people, hard to get along with. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I have led or tried to lead people like that in other places and other times. And thank God I don't even hardly remember those places and don't remember those times and don't care about them anymore. I decided a long time ago I didn't want to waste my time with that kind of thing. So I told God if he was calling me back to be a pastor, he had to give me a church that I'd be able to live with. And, I, and he's done that. He's done that. I, 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 I never step into this place without feeling the love of this congregation. And that's a wonderful thing, I will tell you, beyond what I can express. But Moses didn't have that blessing. He stayed faithful and he didn't have that blessing. So there was a time... And all, everything, that, everything that happened, they didn't have the food that they wanted, so they complained about the food, and God sent them manna. And then it moved a little bit, and they didn't have the water that they wanted, and they complained about not having water, and God gave them water out of the rock. And God kept supplying and kept providing, and the more he supplied, the more he provided, the more they complained, the more they grumbled, and the more they opposed Moses. So now they come to a time they have just moved into Canaan, to the promised land, and they come into an area that is contested. There were people there who were not going to just give it up to them and let them come in and take it over. They had a battle all the way through. Every place they took, they conquered the land that God had given them. It was a battle. So this early on arrival in Canaan, they experienced this. This is in Exodus chapter 17. If you'd like to follow with me or write it down so that you can read it later. Exodus chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. This is an important event. So, th so then, this is what it says. Then Amalek, a tribe of people, came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow... I will stand on the top of the hill with my staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. But Joshua received an assignment. Moses, the leader, said, I want you to lead this battle. Get the men together, go out and lead this battle. And Joshua did what the leader told him to do. Moses gave the order. Joshua followed it through. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses... Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. That's what Moses said they would do. He'd go up to the top of the hill, and he would take the staff of God with him. He didn't say what he was going to do with it when he got there. So he's up there on the top of the hill, and he held up the staff, and the Bible says, verse 11, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. 
This is a lesson from God now. This is not a battle plan. It was for the Israelites on that particular time. But this is not a battle plan. This is a lesson from God for his people. So he held up his hand in Israel. When he, when he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. Have you ever been weary? I have. I have. I've been weary. And I know you have at times too. Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur lifted up his hands. Aaron on one side, Hur on the other. They took his hands and lifted them up. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Not just what Moses did, but what Aaron and Hur did. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. The victory went to the Israelites because Moses, in the plan of God, as an illustration of God's presence and power with his people, and to confirm the leadership of the man he had called to take these people into victory. When Moses' hands were high and lifted, Israel was winning the battles. When his hands became weary and he couldn't hold them up any longer and he began to wilt and the hands dropped, then Amalek began to prevail. They realized that very quickly. Aaron and Hur had already gone up on the hill with him. I don't know what kind of support they intended to give, but nobody thought about lifting up his hands in the beginning. At least nothing is said about that. But when they saw where they were needed... When Aaron and Hur saw where they were needed, they stepped up and filled the gap and did what needed to be done. They took Moses' hands, one on one side and one on the other, and lifted his hands up and held them there. Moses could not do it alone. As great as he was, as he was called of God to lead, with all that was within the power and ability and faith, and the accomplishment of Moses, he couldn't do this alone. He needed Aaron, his brother, and her, one of his colleagues, to hold his hands up, and Israel needed that to happen so they could win the battle. And I'm going to tell you this, my friends. There is nobody, nobody, who can do the work of God all alone the way it should be done. Everybody needs help. The problem is everybody wants to be Moses, and very few want to be Aaron, and nobody wants to be her. It's not H-E-R now, it's H-U-R. There's no females involved in this. I'll make clear I'm not being chauvinistic here. <laughs> so what we need is not more Moses. We don't need a little Moses. What we really, really need is more Aaron's and more hers. People will hold up the hand of God's called chosen person for whatever ministry and wherever that may be, wherever God puts you, be willing to serve where God puts you and wants you to serve. You are needed, and you may not be needed most of all as the one who's holding the staff and against the spotlight. You may be needed as the one who's standing by the side and holding up the arms of the person that God has put in place to fulfill the need and to bring the victory. You're a part of that victory when you take part in it. 
So Moses had men by his side always. And just in the scriptures, just before this in the 17th chapter, when all the people were complaining so much, God told Moses to walk through the tribes of the people. And he told him to take elders from the tribes with him. It doesn't say how many. He just asked some who would be faithful to come with him. I don't know if they were bodyguards because really Moses was ready to be attacked by the people a lot of different times. He told the Lord at one time in this context, he said he was concerned because he thought the people were going to throw him down and then they were going to throw him down from the hill and then they were going to stone him. So, so these men may have been called his bodyguards. I don't know. But they were there to be with him. They were these supporters. God called them to be that, and Moses called them out, and he took them with him as he walked through among the tribes of the people. And then he goes up onto the, on the hill overlooking the battle scene, and he's there only with Aaron and her. Now, Aaron had a great thing happen to him. He became the first high priest of Israel. Her had a great illustrious life because... He's mentioned several other times in the Bible. There are a lot of people with that name mentioned. It may not always be the same person. But some of the time it is, we know it. He, he raised a great family and did a great work for God and was faithful to God in the Israeli camp. So he had a place too. These men had a place, and their place was important. But at this particular time, they had to take a secondary position to the person that God had raised up so that they could win the battle. And when you have a time that nobody is willing to be the arm holder, I'm not asking for myself, and I sure don't want any armor bearers if I know what armor bearers. I don't want somebody carrying around, walking around holding my Bible for me. <laughs> doing other things that I'd rather do myself. But I will tell you this. I need people to help me. If I think that I can be the pastor of this church alone, then I am self-delusional and, I've, and, 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 and I have taken a place that God hasn't called me to, nor does he call it. I cannot do the work that God has called me to do alone. I told the Lord that a long time ago. Long in the very beginning days over on Kings Avenue. My great concern was when we begin to grow and have people, Lord, what am I going to do? I, 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 I need This church doesn't have anybody to help. We hardly have anybody to come to church. We, we sure don't have any helpers in here. I mean, it's some people that would help. I don't mean to belittle those over here to make that clear. But but I mean to say as, as, as we grew, we didn't have people to stand in and take positions. You know, we didn't have any ushers, so we didn't need a lead usher. We didn't have any men, so we didn't have a men's meeting, so we didn't need anybody to leave that, or the women the same thing, or the youth the same thing. But I knew that as we came to the place that we had those needs within the body, we would have to have people to lead and do the work that God called them to do as helpers in the building of the work of God. And the Lord told me very clearly that he would give me the people that I needed to help me. And you know, that's been true from day one. Every time I've needed somebody to help, God has sent somebody along to be a right-hand person. To be somebody who's a supporter and a helper and, a, and an arm lifter. There are people that have come along, and I, and I don't dare start naming, not even one, because if I do, I'll leave out more than I'll name. There are people in this church right now who are filling places right now. You've, you've, you've seen them up here this morning. You know, in the years ago, we didn't have anything like we've got here this morning. 
I won't belittle what we did have. Thank God for what we did have. But it wasn't anything like we had with all of us singing together, rejoicing and praising God, lifting our hearts to Him. We didn't have anything like that. But God has sent people, and sometimes it's changed and different people have come along, but God sent the people that we needed to fill that place. And He always does that. Contingent on this one thing. The people who are to fill that place, hearing the voice of God and obeying Him to do what God is telling them to do. Understand this, because, I, because now I am talking to you. Up to now, I've been talking about other people. Now I'm talking to you. If every place that God's kingdom needs a person, and there may be things we're not doing that we need to do, that we may be very willing to do, if somebody steps up and says, I'll take that place, I'll be a helper, a servant, a supporter, an arm lifter, if you will, in the kingdom of God so that we can win the battle that God's put before us. There is a place for those people who want to be a part of building the kingdom of God. Now, it may not be the place that you particularly have decided that you want to be because we really have enough preachers in this church. There are a lot of other things we don't have enough of. People who pray, this matter of holding up the hands is really symbolic of prayer. This is saying these people were prayed and they did not yield in prayer. They did not give up in prayer. That's the greatest thing that God leads us to do, to be a part of. There's so many things that we can be a part of. I might not even name, if I were trying to name all the things that could be a need here, I might not even name the thing that's most on your heart. But the thing that's most on your heart may be realistically something that God wants to do in this body, but it won't be known unless you step forth and let the brethren judge whether that is the case or not. As long as we just decide we'll wait and see, I'll wait and see, I'll wait and see. We'll be waiting and seeing when Jesus comes. It's time for us to get up and hold up the arms to do something. You know, I got I got way past all my notes in here. I forgot where I am right now. I'll just pick up right here. The, ch- the military chaplaincy has an order, a distinguished order that they give very rarely. It's like the chaplain's medal of honor almost. They give it out very, very carefully. It's called the Order of Aaron and Hur. Recognizing men who have been helpers as chaplains in military service. I read about this a few days ago. Somehow it came up as I was looking around about Aaron and Hur. And I had never heard of it before. But it should be a ceremony of somebody receiving that great honor. And it was considered to be the greatest honor that could be given to a military chaplain. To receive the, the recognition and the medal of the order of Aaron and Hur. Not Moses, but Aaron and Hur. The helpers who made the kingdom of God go forward. And Jesus talked about this himself. to his disciples, telling them that they were to go forward and preach the gospel to all the world, 
make disciples of all people, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples of men. And that's what God's called all of us to do. In different ways, in different positions, with different talents and abilities, God has called us to be a part of the building of his kingdom. You've got that place. Every one of us has that place. So where do you fit? Where do you fit? It's like a puzzle. If there were a puzzle up here on this screen, and it was a beautiful picture, but one piece of the puzzle was out. It had not been put in yet. And you look up there, and the thing you see is not the picture, but the hole that's left by the piece of the puzzle that's not there. The puzzle, the picture, the scenario is never complete until every part of it is there. So every part of the body is singularly important to make the whole complete. You have a place. You need to find that place as God leads you. Find it in the will of God and accept the place that God gives you. It may not be the place that you think most of all that you'd like to have, but it will be the place that complements the body of Christ and the family of God. And as it complements or fills that place in that body, you will recognize that you've been chosen, that you've been called to take that place. It may be something as simple as, as making phone calls to people who are, who are not able to come to church, who love God, who love the church, but because of illness or, or age or whatever it may be, who need a constant contact to hold them tight to this body. And I can tell you that there are a number of people like that. We struggle to get all that done. I'm just mentioning one thing. There could be anything that I would never think of that God may speak to you about, that you may come and say, I believe this is God leading me to do something. Well, I'm opening myself up to a lot of work right now. I hope. I hope a lot of people are going to hear the voice of the Lord and say, Pastor, I believe God really wants me to do this. And most likely I'm going to say, you will go ahead and do it. I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm going to get in there and help you do it. I'm going to say, you're doing it to help me. I'm not doing that to help you. I'll say, I'll give you the support, the encouragement, and the blessing. But you've got to do what God leads you to do to build the kingdom. I believe that's a strong, strong part of all of this. Now, I want to go on, and, and it may look like I'm, I'm jumping to a totally different place. I don't think I really am. But I'm going to ask you to go with me uh, to the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, and, and I want to share some things with you that Paul, that Paul taught there that we need to be aware of. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts cause us to think a little differently from what Paul was teaching. When we say spiritual, we think of getting a gift to somebody coming up and handing me something. Here's a, here's a present for you. That's not the way spiritual gifts operate. The spiritual gifts will operate through people who will yield themselves to God, who pray for the Holy Spirit to use them. And it may be one gift at one time and another at another time, or maybe two or three in combination at, at different times. But all of it is intended. Paul makes this very clear. The one thing he makes signally clear as he's teaching about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians, is that all of this is done for the good of the body. None of it is ever for any individual's recognition or acknowledgement 
or the building of anybody's reputation, any time a spiritual gift calls attention to the individual who is exercising it, that diminishes the intention of God about it. So that's why there are some things that we don't want to happen within the body. We want to be very careful about that because that's what Paul instructed us to do. But he also made it very, very clear that there is a place in the body for every single believer and that every single believer is an important part of the body of Christ. And he uses the physical body to illustrate this. And if you read this with uh, clear understanding of what... uh, uh, of, of what Paul was saying, I can tell you that there are times you can sit around and and really have an enjoyable time recognizing the sense of humor of the Apostle Paul. So here's what he says. I'm going to begin reading now. You can turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is going, going to begin at verse 14. I'm going to read quite a bit here. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you're reading from another version, it'll be similar, but maybe not exactly the same. But if you have the ESV, that's where I'm reading. So, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, For the body, the whole body, now all of us, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But you see, he says, as with our physical body, the body of Christ is made up of many parts. And as in the physical body... If all of us were the preacher, what would we do about those that need to hear and learn and do all these other things that need to be? If all of us wanted to be, let's just say everybody decided I want to be the music leader. Well, then who's going to sing in the choir if everybody's got to be the leader? Same thing with everything else. I want to be the head usher. Well, if everybody's the head usher, they're all giving out orders and directions, how are you going to know who's going to be there to take up the offering? We'll fight over who's in this aisle, fight over who's in that aisle. Because all the leaders want to say, this is where we're going to be. This is what Paul is talking about. <laughs> so, so he says, now as, as, as a part of the body, All the parts of the body, as in the body of Christ, are represented. So, if the foot shall say, I really don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand. And I'm not happy being a foot. Sometimes I'm not happy with my feet. But I don't blame my feet for it. Sometimes I'm not happy with a lot of parts, but there's no need to blame any part of it for that. Just because, so I can say, let me make my foot my hand and maybe change places. How absurd would that be? And, and how absurd is it for, as Paul is saying here, 
for any one part of the body to believe I'm not a part of the body because I'm only an ear or I'm only an eye, I'm only a nose. How important is a nose you can breathe through your mouth? I mean, this noses are entertaining sometimes. <laughs> but I, I've got to get over it. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm seeing what Paul is saying here. And I know that Paul is inwardly laughing as he's using this illustration. How absurd it would be for any part of the body to say, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not the part I want to be. Or the part, the part I chose to be. The part that I feel like I ought to be. So he says that that is irrelevant. You are what God has assigned you to be. But you are, every single one of you, is a part of this body. And if you're a foot and you just won't be a foot, we're going to limp along and not get to where we want to go. If you're a hand and you don't want to be a hand, and if they get two of you who are hands and don't want to be hands, then we really are handicapped. And, and, and of all things, if, if, all the, if all the ears were turned into eyes, I wouldn't have anybody listen to me. <laughs> so you can't, you can't just choose the part that you're, you're, gonna, you're going to be. You're going to be what God has assigned you to be and be a part of the body. But God's important plan for important for us to understand is that regardless of what piece of the body, part of the body you are, you are still a part of this one body. And here's the glorious truth about it. It takes every part to make the whole. It takes every part is important. It isn't that you can't live without one part, perhaps, as a physical body, but you don't want to. And you're lacking if you have to. So the greatest thing that can happen in the body of Christ is for everybody to recognize you don't have to identify now whether you're a foot or a hand or an eye or a nose or an ear. You don't have to identify that. It's just an illustration to say that if you're not the part that God's made you to be and the part that God's put you here to be, you don't take that place and fulfill that responsibility and live as that part of the body of Christ, then you cause us to be lacking something that we ought to have. If you do take your place, and if everyone takes his place, then we have the body that God intends, a full, complete body with every part functioning to its fulfillment, to do exactly what God would have us to do, and one body, united, working as one, will accomplish great things in the kingdom of God that we might never get done otherwise. This is what Paul is saying to them. So then he goes on to say, now we're at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? In other words, if all were a hand, if all were a nose, if all were a mouth, where would we be? We have to be the part that God has assigned us to be. As it is, he says, there are many parts, 
This is what's signally important. There are many parts, yet one body. One body. And that's what God's called us to be. One, diverse, many parts, many talents, many callings, many challenges. But God has called us all to be one. And I believe that's an illustration of the church of Jesus Christ. And this is a big part for all of us in our lives of the church of Christ. And we want to know that we are one in him, united together, filling our place, taking responsibility, accepting our calling, and fulfilling the challenge that God has given us to build the work of God in this world and in this area right where he has put us. There's a place. There's a place for every one of us. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He goes on to say, he wants to emphasize this. After saying that, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I can't say that you're less important than anyone else in the body of Christ. Every person in the body of Christ, and I make that down to a point in this church, Every person in this part of the body of Christ, this family of God right here in First Assembly, every person here is, is signally important to this body. That's why it's God has put you here to take your place. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division, that there may be no division, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So all, all are one. If you have a pain in your knee, it's not just your knee that hurts, your body hurts. You hurt. Pain spreads. You feel it, you don't just, you might feel it primarily in your knee, but you can't just say your knee's the only thing that's hurting. You're hurting. You are hurting. You. Your body is hurting. And that's what he's saying about the body of the family of God. We have to be careful that it doesn't happen. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Then he says this powerful statement in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Individually, you are members of it. So you can look at yourself and say, well, I'm not really very important. Paul says you are that you're significantly important in the body of Christ. Each one of us is. We find our place. We really, truly are. I look around this congregation, and I see 
Some of you probably don't think that you have much of a place here. Maybe you just feel like, well, I just come. That's all I do. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do until God opens up a place for you to fill in service. But the important thing is that you don't let the body suffer because you are not filling your place at the time, in the timeliness, and in the order of God that you need to be filling. It may be that you need to be most of all outside driving a tractor, picking up the debris. I mean, that's not something I can do. I've never been able to drive a tractor. Never wanted to learn. Never tried to. Don't know if I would have learned if I ever had tried to. But there are some of you who are great tractor drivers. I've seen people out there on those tractors. I, I know what some people here can do. And I tell you, I know what condition this place would be in if there weren't some people who got out there and did it. We'd still be, we'd be trying to drive our cars around those old tree trucks and get in and out of here. But people stepped up to do what God called to do as a part of the body of Christ. So it, it, isn't, it isn't the spotlight that makes you important. It's being integrated into the body, integrated as a vital part, understanding there's a part and place for you, that what you do, you're doing for the whole body, to make the body whole, and you're doing it for the glory of God and obedience to God and honor to God. That's what makes it a great and wonderful thing. I, you know, I just look around here right now. You are hearing me, and, and, and you are getting a clear understanding of what I'm saying. I think you look like you are. You act like you are. I assume that you are. But it would be a lot more difficult if you didn't have people up there in the sound booth making this sound so that it's acceptable for you to hear. You see? That's just a small illustration of what I'm talking about. When you go out of here this morning, there'll be people standing out there at the information center to answer questions for something, whatever it may be that you may have. There'll be people standing back there as servants, our ushers, to, to declare to you that they've got a place. Now, that's not the only place. That may not be the only place that they have. Many of them may have several different places. But the point is that there's a place to serve. And when we have a place to serve, we do. We take our place, we fill our place, and we do what God has called us to do in the body of Christ. That's what I want to do. Don't you? That's what I want to do. I know, I, know, I know Billy told me one day as we were talking about the development of things in our church. He said to me, Dad, I don't have any aspirations to ever be the pastor of another church. I'm not, I'm not, this is not a stepping stone. I don't want to be here three or four years and hope that somebody's going to call me to a big place. If, if I am to be a pastor... I, I want to be where God has called me to be and nowhere else. And I have no aspirations to do anything but what God wants me to do right now. And we were talking about whether it was the will of God for him to eventually become the pastor of this church. And I think most of you have come to accept that that may be the way God is leading. I'm not ready to proclaim that, but I'm, I'm, we're, we're all in this having it developed together. But what I'm trying to tell you is that what we want to find, whatever that place is, want to find that place where God wants us in his body and do that 
that fills that need. And I will tell you this. I'm going to try to come to a close with this, and I'll be finishing up. Wow, I'll finish up right at 12. There are people here who were assigned to this church. I believe everybody here really was assigned to it, but some in a very significant way were assigned to this church. God sent you here. We recognized that God sent you here, and we acknowledged that God had sent you here. So we gave you a place in this body of Christ, in this church. Because I knew, and I knew it before, sometimes before you knew it, that God had sent you today, that God sent you here. Because I knew God told me a long time ago he was going to send me the people I needed. And sometime before you know, I knew God had sent you here. And you struggle sometimes with knowing, well, is this, is this it? Is this? But, I, but a lot of you have come to the place to realize, this is where God sent me. This is where God put me. And I'm going to be where God has assigned me so that I won't miss his will. I'm going to accept where God has put me. Some of you came here the first time you came and you looked around. Now, a lot of you came the first time you came, you said, this is it, I'm here, and you stayed. Some of you came and you decided, well, you still need to look around a little bit more. I don't belittle you for that. You need to hear no God. So you looked around, you checked around, and you found out no place else fit you like this place does. That's why you're here. In case you didn't know it, that's why you're here. Not because you like me. I hope you do, but if you don't, that's not the reason. You're you're here because this is where God put you. God led you here. God directed you here. And because God put you here, he has made you a place, made you a place in this body, and he's made you a part of this body. That's what we have to recognize. Because in doing so, we'll see where God has put us, where God's led us, where God wants us to go, and we will make this body of Christ a great, effective, powerful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But we won't do it fragmented. We don't do it, we won't do it while somebody who's the hand is trying to still be the mouth or whatever other piece. We'll do it when people find this is my calling, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what God wants me to do. I'm here at this place. I want to be used of God as God's servant, as God's chosen one for this place, as small as it is and, and as insignificant as it may seem to you. If it's God's place for you, it's a place of honor. It's a place for him to recognize you and to accept you in the body of Christ. I believe that that's his plan. I believe he wants this, this church, his church, this church is a part of it, to be a great witness for him. And one of the greatest things that will ever prove that is the solidarity and the unity of the body as people look upon us and see us. Because Jesus himself said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. And you can't have one for another, love one for another if you're being contentious and fighting over position. You can have love if you're willing to let your brother precede you and go before you and accept what God's doing. And when you accept what God's doing, what he has for you to do will become greater and greater and greater and greater. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. Stand. Praise God.